Kathy and I just got back from some time away on on vacation. Um, For the first time, we took a road trip together, just the two of us, and it went just fine. (laughs) And we saw more beauty than our hard drive could hold. We spent time in Wyoming and Utah and some of our amazing national parks. And I was so glad now that I'm north of 62 because I got a lifetime pass for all the national parks for not very much money. We're going to do this again. And, uh, and, and, and I told Kathy as we were like three quarters of the way through, I don't know if my heart can hold any more wonder and beauty. And the last, uh, the, kind of the, the culmination, we were in Moab, Utah, surrounded by the Slick Rocks, and, and we decided to go on an uh, off-road tour. And, and so Kathy and I signed up for this, and we came in and we met our, our guide, Swain was his name, and he said, you're in luck. It's just you guys and me today. We're going to have fun. And boy, we sure did. As we climbed the slick rocks and went down the slick rocks and through the sand washes, and, and it was amazing. You guys, my wife is a rock star. It's literally. You should see her climb and descend rocks. She's, she was born for that. Anyway, um, but the reason I bring that up is I mentioned that Swain was Navajo. And because it was just the two of us and Swain, we got to know each other. And we got to talk about God. And I got to learn how a Navajo young man thinks about God. He told me that the teepee that, that we often associate with Native American life, he said, we see that as a womb. And the door to the teepee is the birth canal. So he said, when we leave the teepee, it's like leaving the womb and being born again. <laughs> I said, Swain, we should talk about that. <laughs> That's a wonderful thought. And, and uh, we talked about, Kathy and I got caught in a rainstorm in, in, in one of the canyons, and we tucked, tucked under for shelter. And Swain said, you know, Pastor Jeff, in my people, when it rains, we like to stay out in the rain. It's like we're being washed, and the dirty stuff is going away. Oh, I said, Swain, like forgiveness? He said, yeah. And by the time we were done, he said, you know, I'm married to a white woman. And, and I haven't totally... Co- understood the white man's religion. I haven't, I haven't understood it yet. And I thought, oh God, if, if, if Swain could understand your love for him in Jesus. We had a wonderful time. And at the end, he said, um, can I sing for you? We said, yes. As I reached for my cell phone, he said, nope, no phone. It's just between me and you. And he sang us first a birthday blessing and then a blessing that his uncle had written in Navajo. And uh, he said, um, you, I know you didn't understand what I'm saying to you, but I want to let you know that I hope that in your journey of life, I sang to you about the blessing of beauty <laughs> in this world. And Kathy and I, we left, we thought, wow, what was that about? That was sure fun four-wheeling, but it was really fun to meet Swain. And you know, I, I leave thinking about these things. Maybe when you encounter people that are different than you, you think about these things too. I, I, I thought about, probably because I was thinking about our scripture today, if Swain was to, was to become a, a believer and a follower in Jesus, how much of his Navajo world would he no longer be connected 
with and how much of my white man's Christian world should he be connected with? In other words, what is essential for Swain to be a follower of Jesus? What, what is essential? That's what we're going to be talking about today. We're at a, a, a critical point in the book of Acts as we've been following uh, this account of, of how God brought the gospel of Jesus uh, alive and it began to spread. This is really a book about mission. And, 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 and we're at a critical point in the mission. We've seen that, first, of course, the, the, the Jewish um, uh, God-fearing people had come to know Jesus, and, and that included all the disciples. They were Jews, Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. The first converts were Jewish. But as the story unfolded, we see God miraculously and powerfully convert the most Jewish of Jews, Saul of Tarsus, and give him a passion for non-Jewish people, for Gentiles. Wow, only God could do that. Pastor Doug, not long ago, talked about how God intervened in the life of Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples. And Peter, as a believer in Jesus, was still still thoroughly Jewish, and when he was asked to go have a meal to go visit and go into the home of a Gentile Roman soldier, you can almost, I'm going to paraphrase here, he says to God, you got to be kidding. And God lowers a sheet of unclean animals right in front of him. And he says, get up and eat. If I've declared it clean, it's clean. So Peter understood, wow, the gospel is for people that I always assumed were unclean, that if I associated with them, I would be unclean. And now God's calling me to bring them the gospel. And in doing so, make them clean or be used as God makes them clean. This is a really important moment. This is the moment where we learn about the relationship between the Old Covenant or the Old Testament and the New Covenant, the New Testament. The old covenant, which was based on law, and the new covenant, which is based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to see that this is, this is going to be so critical for the mission of the church going forward. Because if the gospel is not kept pure, it's not the gospel. If we add our stuff to the gospel, it loses its power. That's what we share as Christians. But even as Christians, we're going to have lots of different thoughts about things that are not as essential as the gospel but may be important to us. How are we going to do that? How are we going to do that when we don't agree on everything? You know what, you guys? I think this is a really good time to think about what is essential for us as Christians to stand firm on. The apostle Paul, Luther said, was like an iron pillar when it came to the essentials of the gospel, of what Jesus has done for us, and how that is how we become right with God. He said, but, but the apostle Paul was also soft as a reed in love. 
in relating to people that were different than him. Interesting. I wouldn't say we're living in a time when Christians are soft as a reed in love (laughs) in dealing with people that are thinking differently than they are regarding non-essentials that have become essentials for some of us. And I stand busted on this too. What does God have to say to us? I think he will speak to us this morning through Acts chapter 15. There was a, he was born in Sweden, I believe, but he was, a, he, he, he practiced in Germany. He was a Lutheran theologian. And uh, his name was Rupertus Melodanius. That was his public name. He had a different private name. But this was a real dangerous time to have your name out there. This was some hundred years or so after the Reformation. And, and Europe was a toxic mess. It was in political upheaval. It was in bloody upheaval. Emperors were vying for power and so were churches. There was the Catholic faction and the Reform faction consisting of the Lutherans and the Calvinists. This was an awful time. And Rupertus Melodanius, I always thought it was Augustine who wrote this, but no, it was Rupertus Melodanius wrote a little tract trying to get people's attention on on, on what the gospel really is. And he said this, Christians, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Huh. Maybe that's not just a word for the 17th century. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open them or your devices to Acts chapter 15, reading in Jesus' name. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Wow, really? That is a condition of salvation? To not only believe in Jesus, but to thoroughly embrace Judaism to the point of circumcision and pattering your whole life over over the old covenant laws and traditions? This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute. Why? Because the gospel was at stake When Jesus walked into the temple and he saw the travesty of the temple no longer being a place of worshiping God, but he saw the money changers and the animals, we're told he made a whip and he he drove the, the, the money changers out and the animals out and there were doves fluttering and sheep praying and coins tinkling all over the stone and tables tipped. Why was Jesus so angry and upset Because God is angry and upset when people that are seeking him run into obstacles that keep them from him. There's a little bit of this anger, righteous anger, in Paul and Barnabas. 
And then it's God's indignation. Because they saw what was happening here is that there were obstacles being put up that were going to keep people who were seeking God and God was seeking them from coming to know with clarity the good news and the freedom that comes with believing that good news in Jesus. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed among, along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. This is a watershed moment. How this question is handled will have, will have an effect on the future of the, of the church of Jesus. The church sent them on their way and they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria. They told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. Is there anything that thrills your soul more than hearing about people that were lost in their sins and far from God, that somehow God reached them with the good news of what Jesus had done, has done for us, and, it, and, they, and they believe. We talk about being born again. It's wonderful. We talk about, about being converted from being lost to being found. It's it's wonderful, adopted into God's family. And when Paul and Barnabas went to the churches and said, you guys, you know what God is doing? It's crazy to be along on this mission and watch what God is doing and be part of it. Because when we tell people that Jesus was the Son of God, when we tell people he died on the cross to save them and us from our sins so that we can be forgiven and that he rose and lives and he's coming again and is delighted to have you and his family. God is changing people's lives. He's transforming them as they become believers in Jesus. Oh, God, grant us that joy. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So the matter has been laid out. Moving to the next section here. The apostles and elders met to consider this question and don't miss the fact that this is a plural, not a singular decision-making body. This is not one person. This is a group of people. This is the apostles who knew Jesus well. One of them had been martyred, James, the brother of John. There were others in the leadership group who were respected that God has called them to care for us spiritually. There are leaders, including James, the brother of Jesus, who did not believe in Jesus until he was resurrected. But man, when Jesus was resurrected, James became a changed man. As he heard the gospel, so much so that can you imagine how cool it was to have the brother of Jesus in your leadership group? <laughs> hey, James, tell us another story about Jesus. What was it like to grow up with Jesus? Wouldn't that have been amazing? Maybe you don't think about that stuff. I think that would have been so fun. Now what's going to happen is we're going to hear from three people. We're going to hear from Peter. We're going to hear from actually four people, Paul and Barnabas. And we're going to hear from James, the brother of Jesus. 
By the way, um, how many of you like long meetings? Can I see your hand? When I became a pastor, uh, this was not something that intimidated me, talking to people. I always was, uh, was sobered by the fact I'm say, uh, that God is listening, and I, and I hope I'm saying what he wants us to, to say. That didn't bother me. I thought, oh, how am I going to sit through all those long meetings as a pastor? But God is faithful. I'm still here today, and, and we're good. But you notice in verse 7, it says, after much discussion. That's a long meeting. I think all of us would sit through a long meeting if something really important, something that really mattered came of it. This issue was worthy of a long meeting. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice between you, choice among you, that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart the verb here, it, it, it gives God the title, God the heart knower. God the heart knower showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Paul is also implying, as he purified our hearts by faith, you guys, we needed to be saved by Jesus, didn't we? The Old Testament law didn't save us, did it? Jesus came to save us and them, and he's doing it. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the neck of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. Let's read that verse again. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. We Jews are saved just like the Gentiles through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It all boils down to this, right? God sent us his son who died for us the question that is most important for all of us is what will you do with that? <laughs> what will you do with the fact that Jesus came and died for your sins? That's the core. Will you thank God for that and rejoice in that and gladly receive him as your Lord? That's the question with eternal significance when the short life is over. What do we do with Jesus? The whole assembly became silent now as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. We call this testimony. Peter is giving his testimony of how God turned his focus radically not only to the Jews but now to the Gentiles. Barnabas and Paul are saying, you know what? Like Peter said, God now is focusing on the Gentiles. Can I tell you what he's doing amongst the Gentiles? And we've been reading these amazing stories in the book of Acts. These are the works of God. But notice what happens next. James speaks. James has been in Jerusalem. He hasn't been out seeing these things as far as we know. We don't have a record of the missionary journey of James. 
But this is his contribution. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas telling about the awesome wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name for the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. After this, I will rebuild, return and rebuild David's fallen tent. He's quoting the prophet Amos here. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. And the, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear his name, says the Lord. Who does these things? Things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest time and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. This whole discussion became not what do you think, what should we do, but what does God think? What has God done? What is God doing? And how do we understand that in light of the Holy Scriptures? Brothers and sisters, God said he would do this, and he's doing it. So the leaders of the Jewish people who loved and appreciated their heritage said God would not have us attach that to the gospel. No longer does it matter if we keep the traditions of the people of Israel. This is a new day. This is a new day. And we all needed Jesus and he has come. Hallelujah! Let's not make it hard for our Gentile brothers and sisters to come. This last part is beautiful, and we're going to stop there. And we're going to have communion. What a wonderful day to have communion. Why did James suggest that they ask their Gentile friends to abstain from food that had been sacrificed to idols, to abstain from meat with the blood in it, and to abstain from sexual immorality. Because they were going to live in fellowship with their Jewish brothers and sisters. This was not an essential. This was a non-essential. But as they did this, they were expressing their love for one another. It's always easier to go our different ways, especially when we're having a dispute. What God called them to do was remember the main thing, remember the essential. It humbles us when we all realize, even if we were raised in the church, even if um, we are so thoroughly church broke that it's amazing. And some who come to Jesus and they aren't and they're messy. We all come needing a Savior regardless of our heritage, right? All of us. All of us. But what we could do 
is those of us that have opinions about this or opinions about this or opinions about this. If we don't get along, we can just go our separate ways. (laughs) How many denominations are there? Have you counted lately? (laughs) It's a lot. It's a lot. And that's just the way it is. By the way, at the end of this chapter, it might seem a bit sad, and it kind of is sad. But Paul and Barnabas, who had seen God do all these incredible things, were going to go out on their next missionary journey. But they couldn't agree on whether to take John Mark along because John Mark had deserted them halfway through their previous journey. Paul says, he, he's not coming with us. He's not cut out for this. His uncle Barnabas said, he'll be fine. <laughs> So Paul took Silas and went, and Barnabas took Mark and went to, uh, went to Cyprus. There is no commentary on who was right and who was wrong. This kind of misunderstanding over non-essentials happens within the body of Christ, and we don't always figure it out perfectly, do we? We don't. But this we know. Purity of the gospel matters more than anything. And the love and grace we extend to each other, especially when we don't agree, is a powerful testimony to the reality of Jesus in our midst. Jesus prayed for this in John 17 when he prayed that we might be one as Jesus and the Father and the Spirit were one, that the world might know that God sent Jesus. So we can think about this. Are these times, just a couple thoughts as we close. close. We're going to have communion here. This is a time when we really, if we we want revival, let's let's look at the gospel. Let's celebrate the gospel. Let's weep at God's love for us in the gospel. Let's humbly confess how much we need it. And then let's rejoice in it. And this is a very polarizing time. You might have differences today with brothers and sisters over some issue. We got a ton of them, right? Ask yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth it for me to break fellowship over a non-essential What are the consequences? Good old Rupertus. (laughs) Rupertus. Anyway, why would his mom give him that name? Rupertus. Melodinius. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty and in all things charity. Let's pray.